This is the Leaf Sky Podcast. Here's your host, Jim Taddy. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode number 38 of Leaf Sky. Jim Taddy with you for the next 40 minutes or so. Coming up on our podcast today, we will have Rob Leff, the Toronto freelance reporter, and Gus Katsaros from McKean's Hockey and NBC Sports Edge. And, of course, the Leafs losing game one of their series to the Habs by a score of 2-1. to one catastrophic injury to John Tavares and we'll explain all of that as we move along. Before we get there, it's playoff time. Big stakes, bigger promotions. It's time to hammer the over and score some cash. DraftKings Sportsbook is giving you a chance to lower the over-under on a featured playoff game. All players who place a bet on the featured basketball game will have a hand in lowering the over-under on the game. That's right. Every better who hammers the over in the featured game helps to lower the game's over-under. That's an interesting concept. The best part is even as the line lowers, the odds remain at even money. That's right. You can double your money by hammering the over. DraftKings is safe and secure and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your funds at your own convenience. Ladies and gentlemen, here's the call to action. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code THPN when you sign up to hammer the over. For every 1,500 people that bet the over in the featured game, the line will decrease by one point. Yes, this is your chance to improve the odds of the overhitting. So tell your friends and family, this is a team effort. Hammer the over and improve your odds of doubling your money. That's promo code THPN for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for complete details. All right. To the hockey story. Montreal 2 and Toronto 1. Game 1 goes to the Habs. Great road game by the Habs. They did exactly what they wanted to do. They had physical edge. They were chasing the Leafs and hitting the Leafs with reckless abandon in the first period. They outhit the Leafs by a count of 28-13 to 13 at the end of the night. It was 55-27, but what really turns the game in a really scary direction happens midway through the first period. Sherratt hits Tavares in the neutral zone. He falls and rolls into the oncoming knee of Corey Perry. Knocked out. An ugly scene. He tried to get up and collapsed again. It was taken to hospital, and we have an update uh, later on when we're talking to Gus Cutseros that actually happens while we're recording it. But the, the bottom line is John is okay out indefinitely. What a scary moment, and the Leafs had to regroup, and they did. I thought they played okay in the 5-on-5. The power play looked good, didn't score, and then fell apart because it allowed a shorthanded goal at the ultimate moment, which was the game-winning goal, and so the Habs do what they want to do. Great road game, and they win by a score of 2-1, to and the Leafs have some regrouping to do, going without their captain and trying to figure out how to improve that power play, or at least get a goal on it, and how to be better in the 5-on-5 and get around all those hits that Montreal is trying to deliver. So it's, uh, you know, one of those playoff scenarios. Here's what we're going to do. What are you going to do about it? And the answer has to be there. And sometimes the answer is there and doesn't get immediate results. So this is a real test for the Leafs after only game one of a playoff series. Further analysis now. Let's bring in Rob Leth, the Toronto freelance reporter. Okay, so we have the one game to deal with. 2-1, the Habs win game one of their Stanley Cup playoff round against the Leafs. Uh, this was a weird hockey game, I have to say. I didn't know exactly what the, the Habs were going to throw at the Leafs. If it was Claude Julien behind the bench, I know it would have been stealth, really tight, forechecking, and much like game one of the regular season where they did that for the opening part. I didn't expect the, the physical assault. Did you? I expected the Habs to play physical. I think that's their game plan. Um, I didn't expect the hits to be that uh, much of 
that much of a difference between the two teams. Um, and clearly, if the Habs keep doing this for a seven-game series, if it goes seven, the plan is to wear down the Leafs, right? And, you know, yeah. get them tired, get them thinking about the footsteps. And I think that happened a few times last night, especially when you see Willie Nylander uh, for the third time in the game uh, have a Leaf player dump the puck over the glass. Yeah, I think he heard the footsteps and, you know, it, it, gets, in, it, gets, in, it gets in your mind. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. That was a, that was an absolute bailout that play, and and you know that the problem with that is you know it's it's the third such penalty, and it's in the third period, and the game's tied at one. That's just an an atrocious play to to have happen, but nonetheless, you know they they killed off the penalty. Their problem was their power play, which is you know we've we've been through this for months now, um, and and it actually started out okay, but on the shorthanded goal. Uh, you know, playing the role of Morgan Riley, Sandine with the uh, skate up the ice and the look back for the drop pass. And then when, you know, because that's, that's going up the ice so slow, they turn it over at, at the Montreal blue line and down the ice, it goes it in the net. I mean, it, it just, this cannot happen. And I know obviously you've had concerns about Sandine going into the playoffs uh, more yeah. so than I did, but last night he got burned twice and, and looked really slow on the second play uh, where Paul Byron scored that beauty. But Sandine looks slow on that one, and I don't know if that's nerves or just a speed difference between the two, but uh, that was disappointing to see. And, you know, you talk about the power plays for both teams. Neither power play was effective in the game, but it took away the flow of the game. It didn't allow the Leafs to be the team that they are, five-on-five, puck possession, all that stuff. There was just no flow, and you need more of that in game two if you want to be successful. Yeah, absolutely agree. And in fact, I think that the best part of the Leafs game was in the second period when they were playing five on five. And uh, I think it was 10 minutes of the third was on special teams. So that sort of wiped out any kind of momentum they had. Um, I, I, another sort of general observation, you know, they, both teams had a lot of injured guys coming back in. Uh, I, I certainly thought that Weber and Carey Price made a difference in that game with Carey Price all in capital letters. And I didn't know what to expect there. I thought Hyman was okay, but not the usual Zach Hyman. And Riley Nash was was okay. Uh, you know, it's uh, it, the guy playing his first game for a team in a crucial situation. I just I just didn't see the Leafs that we've seen before in this game. I, I thought that the, the the full chemistry what wasn't there. That they weren't actually playing their game because they weren't allowed to, which is part of the playoff premise, right? You're going to do this. Guess what? We're not going to let you do it. And, and the Habs executed well that way. Yeah, you talk about uh, guys coming back. Nick Felino only had like a game or two at the end of the season, so he's still readjusting. Uh, I thought Zach Bogosian uh, looked fine. Um, yes. But yeah, when you have that many guys coming back, you have to expect some rust. You're not going to have that cohesiveness that you'd have if everyone's playing together every game. And that's a tough situation for Riley Nash. I don't know how you get around it, but to make your Leaf debut in a playoff series against the Montreal Canadiens, um, like he wasn't that noticeable, which is good for him, but... I don't know what more you can expect. Yeah, and of course, then there's the gaping hole at center that happens at ten and a half minutes into the first period, and so Riley Nash making his debut might be asked to do more, although he only played ten plus minutes, so it's not like he filled the gap that way. But that hit, um, accidental in my opinion, but um, totally awkward because Tavares rolls into the knee. You know, I I don't think I've ever seen anybody hit in the head that hard in my life. That that was that's a scary play. Well, what it reminded me of is in baseball, when you see a, a, a runner sliding into second base, uh, more so before when you're trying to break up the double play, you're not allowed to do it anymore. But when the, the shortstop or the second baseman's making that pivot, you try and leap over the runner, sometimes your knee comes up and hits the guy in the head. And you see concussions in baseball, even though it's a, a non-contact sport. 
this is hockey. These guys are going a lot faster than baseball players. And that, that was just sickening. There's no other word for it than, than sickening. Yeah. And, you know, you wait for this series for so long. The first time these two rivals have played since 1979, even with no fans in the building, you know, there's a ton of excitement from coast to coast for sure. any hockey fan. And that just gets sucked right out of the, uh, out of the game 10 minutes in. And you're worried about this guy lying prone on the ice and, you know, the captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs and, these are human beings playing yeah. the game. And how do you recover from that? When you see that, you see your teammate lying on the ice. Well, that's an absolute concussion, you know, never being a doctor on radio or television. I mean, he was knocked out. Uh, if that's a boxer, you don't see him for 30 days. Then, um, you know, you, the, the, just the wicked video of him trying to gather himself and, and stand up and, and he just collapses. I mean, that is, you know, uh, apparently he's doing okay, which is fine, but, but the residual effect of that hit, you know, that that's going to take some time. That That's just absolutely scary. And, uh, you know, I, I always just gauge it on how did the players on the ice react, and you saw it on their faces. I thought I thought Austin Matthews was going to cry. He looked pretty distraught. Yeah, the players on both teams. You know, this is a guy that Corey Perry has played with in the past, and so you see the concern on his face. You know, he didn't try and do it. And Carey Price has played with John Tavares, and everyone on both benches like knows this guy's background and what a character guy he is. And he's a family guy with a couple of kids. And you know, you don't worry about a hockey game at that point. So this is the, this is the thing in a playoff series when one team wins a game, uh, everybody leans towards the team. Now I could easily go back through that game summary and I could change one event and I'd have a Maple Leaf win and the one event would be a power play goal at the right time and of course not giving up a shorthanded goal. So it's actually two events, but but one cancels out the other. If the one happens, then the other one is is probably never going to be in play. So I mean, you could actually let Montreal go at the Leafs again. Uh, physically for 10 minutes if the Leafs score towards uh, the end of the first period or or with the games on the line late in the second early in the third they win this 2-1 so even though it wasn't the greatest Maple Leaf performance still a winnable hockey game and and so is game two yeah and you have to think they'll have their focus back uh, with with a day off in between and you know kind of get uh, you know refocused on the task at hand uh, the problem is number 31 in net for the Montreal Canadiens uh, this yes. is a guy who's struggled throughout the year uh, there's no question about it in practice before game one he's smashing his stick on the goal post uh, doesn't look confident at all like he's trying to figure out what's going on and then he comes out and he's he's hall of fame olympic gold medal winning Kerry price playing like he just turns it on you know at the flick of a switch and that save that he made on mitch marner uh on the two-on-one with nylander that was a difference in the game for me. That blocker save, just sprawling across. Marner did what he had to do. He got everything on the shot, put it where he wanted to put it. Craig Price just slides over and makes an incredible save and, uh, you know, really secures that win for the Canadians. Yep, totally agree. So that's the one thing. I The one thing that sticks to the wall for me is not the score, but Carey uh, Price is going to be that guy. Okay, good to know because that, that's a big adjustment in the series. So are you ready for this? All set. Ladies and gentlemen, okay, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, those listening with wired or wireless earbuds, time now for the yes guy, no guy part of our podcast. Yes guy, no guy number one. The Leafs will actually play through the Habs physical play. Yes guy. Um, I think they'll be more agile, if you want to say that, for game two. And uh, as long as the hits are clean, um, you know, I think they can, they can take it and play their game. What they can't do is try and dish that back to Montreal and get into their style of game. They have to do what the Leafs need to do to be successful and, you know, take a hit. 
Yes, guy, no guy number two. The John Tavares injury is actually the series turning point. No guy. Um, I think the turning point, you know, I think when you see that happen, you know, Wayne Simmons said in the first intermission, we got to win this one for Johnny. They didn't win it. So you, you think that would be the turning point right away. Um, I think the turning point just has to be on speed and skill and not that play. Yes, guy, no guy number three. The least power play will do them in. No guy. I think they're way overdue for turning it around. Uh, I think they just need one. And, you know, if they don't score, then yes, guy. But I, I, I still believe they'll turn it around. Okay, the final yes, guy, no guy of this particular podcast with this particular guest. Yes, guy, no guy. Carrie Price is the deciding factor in this series. I oh. think no guy. I don't think you can keep this up. For that was a come on. That was game. a search. That was a search yeah, for it, the answer. It's scary now. It's scary <laughs> now seeing what he did, but he's not all the way back yet in my mind. He has to keep doing it. If he does, then the Leafs are in trouble. But uh, I I believe the the Leafs offense will come through. How much of a letdown was that game for you? I think more so. It was just the the feeling of seeing John Tavares on the ice more than the result. Um, the Leafs still have, you know, three more losses to give here and um, they still have a lot of time to turn this around. It's a long series. And I think for me, it was more about getting past what the players saw with their captain on the ice more than the result. And down the hall we go and it's time to get more analytics from Gus Katsaros from McKean's Hockey and NBC Sports Edge. Okay, Gus, let's do the analytical breakdown of what happened. I mean, clearly the hits were 28-13 in the first period for Montreal, 55-27 by the end of the night. And, you know, you could argue that if you did that three or four nights in a row, neither team might have anything left. So, I mean, how does this track? How does this play out? Well, I think that you saw a little bit of a um, an early effort to show a little bit of physicality on Montreal's part that I think for the most part was – reciprocated for Toronto you see the thing about hits and and the concept of hitting is if I don't have the puck I need to hit you to get it back so the 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 increased amount of hits is because Toronto kept control of the puck um so I thought that they were kind of shaky early on I thought thought Montreal took a um a good healthy amount of physicality into the first period um I think that they maintained a little bit of that after the Tavares incident but they still maintain the physical dominance I mean that's the one way that they're going to be able to stop Toronto if you want to break down skill and you don't have the ability to go power for power then you add something in the railroad tracks to derail the skill and that would be physicality um to say that they actually did something that is on a positive level when you kind of look at it from the game chart perspective did it really help montreal's ability to generate scoring chances probably not there were a lot of one-offs that ended up uh, becoming very problematic and and in other circumstances it can bite toronto just as bad um but the physical element that montreal did substitute for skill early on in the game is probably going to continue throughout the series because I think that that's really the only way that they're able to compete um, with the skill level that Toronto is able to bring out. Yeah, and I just, you know, as I saw it, uh, for the two, two observations, I thought it was a little um, uh, aggressive in that there was a build from one hit to the next. And when the Tavares incident happened, not that you could imagine that incident, but you had a feeling that it was going to erupt at some point somehow. 
unfortunately, it, it erupted in, in a really negative way towards the Leaf captain. But but you felt the build there, and you didn't know where it was going to go, and you may have felt a little uneasy about it. The second point is, this is what Winnipeg used to do to the Leafs, and somehow it stopped working. So I, I have to pick your brain here. I mean, mm-hmm. at what point, you know, what happened when Winnipeg tried to do it and it didn't work? What were the Leafs doing to get through that? So I think that there's kind of two ways that you can look at it from this perspective. The Leafs really do excel using rush attempts. They're not necessarily one of those teams that can kind of get in and cycle the puck. They are effective at doing it, but that's not necessarily their forte. Um, At the same time, players like Zach Hyman and Nick Foligno, who weren't always in the lineup at the same time, do offer a different element to be able to cycle. So, from the perspective of how do you get away from a physical game, try to keep the puck more into the center of the ice, try to keep it away from uh, um, um, zones where you're expecting physicality. Um, Now that also plays in Toronto's skilled factor. So they got away from that by really doubling down on their skilled players and making sure that they're able to do their job. So to do that, they take it away from the boards. They generate a lot more between the, uh, between the dots. um, And you, don't necessarily eliminate everything, but you reduce the amount of physical contact that you'll probably end up having. And for teams to try to generate those kind of game plans where physicality is really the uh, the core element of, of generating transition games and getting pucks back and defensively, um, that's a very old school mentality that's changing as hockey is itself is changing. So it, it's, it's not something that you you're going to be using as a, as a tactical strategic move at this point. Um, I think that the way that Toronto and Montreal are going to show um, how to move away from a physical game that, that could potentially hurt you down the line. Um, that's what I would expect from Toronto, at least in the next four games. That's kind of what they did to Winnipeg. That's what I expect them to do to Montreal. I expect Montreal to be just as physical. If they start taking that physicality away from the boards and into the open areas of ice, you're going to start to get those incidents that your buildup brought us to here yeah yeah it, 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 catastrophe really for for john Tavares and, and the leaves that was just sickening to watch we, we've used that word i used it with uh, later on in the podcast i'll use that word and i used it on the broadcast uh, of the game it was just uh, it was a silencer to say the least uh, so there, i mean there's there's a couple of things here there's always a counter so whatever somebody's doing there's always the counter to it mm-hmm. the question in a four out of seven playoff series is even though you have applied the counter to what they're doing, sometimes it doesn't result in a win. So when you look back on, on last night's game, Thursday, Thursday night's game, the opening game of the series, you will see that five on five, probably three minutes after the Tavares incident goes all the Leafs way. I, I thought they were very good five on five special teams, a disaster. And, and so you have to understand that the Leafs are not going to get three puck over the glass penalties in the next game or possibly ever again that's a big factor in a game absolutely they got to take the way all those pitching wedges and they should be fine moving on and but having said that though the five on five play was just enough to be competitive it wasn't anything domineering it wasn't like they were exacting a um a game plan obviously when you throw a player like Tavares out of the lineup now they have to do some modifications um you saw a lot of makeshift lines they tried a few different combinations and and these were just general pieces so from last night's effort, and I think that we kind of need to take it from the, the the element of granularity because of the incident 
um, kind of changes the perplexion of the game. I would afford the Leafs to have a little bit more of a lapse approach. Not that I, it should be that way, but I can give them the benefit of the doubt that there was some emotional element that may have hold them back from sure. executing properly. Um, and at the same level, Montreal too. Because on a human level, you see a player down on the ice like that, it can't not affect you emotionally somehow. So I'll give both teams some trepidation. Next game, though, you're going to have a full roster, full lineup. You're going to get players in the roles that they're expected to play. So now execution has to be key. So I'll give them the, the, the benefit of the doubt that they weren't able to execute five on five and even on the power play last night. But going into next game, there's no excuses like that. They need to be able to execute that game plan and show if they're going to be dominating Toronto, if Toronto is going to be dominating Montreal, show them how they're going to be doing that. We didn't see a lot of that early on. And the incident itself changed the complexion of the game for us not to be able to judge the, the performance essentially from that point on. That's a big incident. I mean, you you can't you can't say that enough. And the fight that happens after allows the game. And you could argue that, and and many people will that we don't need fighting in the game. I agree with you. You don't need fighting in the game, but you had to find a way to close that incident off and move on with the game. Because if, if that fight doesn't happen, the escalation continues. And again, not a fan of fights, but I am a fan of of something that can diffuse a very scary and uh, tenuous situation. And in that particular case, you know, it, it, you needed somebody to address it. And, and for whatever reason, that was, that was the, the player's language. That's all the players wanted was something to close it off. Now we could sit in judgment and, and many people do, but it's the player's game. So I, I back the players. So I'll give Felino and Perry the benefit of the doubt too, because they did what they had to do to just like you said, let's, cap this at this point um you saw a little bit of shenanigans towards the towards perry in the third period as well and uh, on yeah. the other side like it's going to continue so we don't want to see the level of 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 problematic um play that the incident itself could have sparked so i get you you put a cap on that and then you kind of move on well, listen to this now. If that fight doesn't happen, somebody could accidentally skate into Carey Price. I mean, come on. We, we've seen incidents in other leagues, in this league, at other times, where if you're not going to shut this off, guess what I'm going to do? And that cannot happen. That is not right. Yeah, I can see that too. That's definitely an argument in support of that. So that's fine. So I think that independently of all of this, though, I don't think that we're going to see a lot of difference. There's still going to be a lot of face washes and and. You know, well, that's that's normal animosity. That's so. That's what I think you're going to see towards this series. I don't think that that, I don't think what happened to Tavares is really going to spark anything above and beyond what would our normal expectations be of a very emotional Toronto Montreal rivalry series. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, let's go to the obvious. The special teams, another disaster. And the least power play started out gangbusters. It looked really good. Sandine on the first unit, racing the puck up the ice, and sure enough, on the shorthanded goal. He does what I call, with all due respect, I call it the Morgan Riley. The look back for the drop pass, he makes it, and they saunter up the ice very slowly, and then all of a sudden the puck's turned over at the Montreal blue line, boom, down and in. Now, it's a great goal. You can't take anything away from Byron, who just took a stab at it, and it goes in. But that you have the analytics on a turnover at the other team's blue line. What happens within five seconds? It's in the other net. So there's two things actually that kind of happened on that play. One, there should have been a line change and Sandine shouldn't really even have been on the ice. So you should have had a fresh player that would have been able to match Byron's speed stride for stride. Aside from the deployment issue, um, to me, I think that 
you know, those diving plays, those desperation diving plays, they're, they're very common. You see them all the time, but I feel that they can be played much better. So the turnover happens because Joe Thornton loses the puck just inside the opposition blue line. And yeah, that is the, uh, the most dangerous part of the ice to, um, to create a turnover because now everybody's coming the opposite way against yeah. momentum. You're done. Sandin's already tired. There's no way that he's going to catch him. The desperation play takes him completely out of the play. What he could have done is actually extended his body by using a stick to just try to disrupt Byron's stick enough that he couldn't take a clean shot. If you're not going to catch him, just disrupt the weapon that the player is going to try to use to capitalize on a goal-scoring opportunity. So I think that that incident in a, in, in a bubble itself um, is kind of also indicative of the Leafs' zone entries in general. They've been so bad on the power play entering the zone, um, and they've been decent enough when in the setup, at least earlier on in the season, Um that those two things just don't click. I, I can't understand how a team that is so skilled is has so much trouble gaining the zone and then not being able to set up afterwards. So now when they are in the zone and they do have the setup, there's this predictability factor that still stays there. While they did look pretty good last night, and I thought that they changed a few things up, um, it seems to still be just more of a, a, a personnel deployment issue rather than a tactical change. So I think until the Leafs start deploying a little bit more of a different setup and a different type of strategy in zone, we're going to see a lot more of the, the, the frustration and the struggles that they've had for the variety, uh, for a great part of the, uh, the last season. Yeah. I call it, you know, I call it the Morgan Riley before I, I should call it the searching drop pass. Cause the drop pass is supposed to be a timing play executed at top speed. Yes. It's called the slingshot now. That's oh, the slingshot. Oh, wow. okay. Wow. Whatever. The slingshot is missing one of its arms. But anyway, so now that we've opened this door, Gus, on, on things that uh, these, are, these are what I call visual, visual warning signs, things you don't want to see your team do in any playoff game is the pinch. Pinch could happen at the blue line or in the neutral zone. The play's coming at you and you see the defenseman step forward. Look out. Within five seconds, it's in your net. Maybe three. Uh, the turnovers at either blue line, disaster, because everybody's going, as you say, the wrong way. And the other one is off the boards. You remember there was a goal that um, that Nick Foligno set up, uh, I think it was in Montreal for Austin Matthews, and he, he just flipped it off the boards, and Coach Keefe did not like it because if you're coming off the boards and you flip it somewhere between uh, the faceoff dot and the boards, odds are there's another there's a defender going in your uh, going against the grain down towards your goal if you turn the puck over there you are done it might take six seconds but that puck goes right down the ice and in the net so those are the four or five areas that if you see it happen odds are in a tight playoff game it's in your net that these are things you cannot do so the turnovers at the blue line the yeah. toronto was absolutely guilty of of many of those to the degree that there was uh, it, it's frustrating. It's frustrating to have, again, a skilled team like that being thwarted at the offensive blue line. Um, now, a team like Toronto should understand that they're going to clog up the neutral zone, so you need to find solutions to get past that. And what does that entail? Well, that entails probably getting more into the boards towards your third issue that uh, that we saw last night. So you can't make turnovers in those really dangerous areas. And you know that you can't do that. Like it's the same kind of concept as of making a turnover at your blue line. You're going one way and the turnover is happening the other way. By the time that you've completed an emotion, it, it's the plays advanced so far off that you're no longer part of that solution anymore. Yeah. Um, so those dangerous areas of the ice. So the, 
and to Montreal's credit too, it almost seemed like they kind of tried to push Toronto into those dangerous areas. So that well, has I'm to sure be part of their strategy. Yeah. If you're gonna, and it kind of goes to the physicality element as well, because again, that's a physical grinding zone. So there's those. That's what you're going to see. You're going to probably see a lot of those battles where the Toronto's are going to try to keep it in open areas of ice to um, capitalize on their skill, and Montreal is going to try to keep it into those grinding zones and really capitalize on um, breaking down the Leafs shift by shift by shift. Well, and this is why I love the four out of seven, especially in the NHL, because it's you're going to do this, or, or actually, if you're Montreal, you're looking at the Leafs saying, "You want to do this? We're not going to let you do it." And then the Leafs have to say, if you're not going to let us do it, then we're going to do this. Well, I didn't see the second part of that a whole bunch. I saw an attempt there, and I have to sort of put a, a, a little mark beside it because Tavares wasn't there. So when you lose a player of that caliber, that, that's a big hole. But but so I, I guess the ultimate question would be, Gus, there are no secrets here. Everybody knows all the possibilities of what each team can do. Nobody's stupid here. So let me ask you this. Were, they, were the Leafs outcoached? I I don't think that that was in a situation to make a proper assessment. And the reason is because they weren't executing their game plan. They were just kind of riding whatever they had to do to try to get through last night rather than uh, being the Toronto Maple Leafs. So to answer your question directly, no, I don't think that they were outcoached. I think that they were absolutely outplayed, regardless of the fact that Toronto kind of took it to Montreal after the incident. Um, but I don't really think that they were out strategized. Montreal really did want a lot of turtling. So there's a lot of, you know, protect the house, make sure that we don't offer up any really juicy scoring opportunities, but they didn't really take it to Toronto. They didn't take the game to the Leafs. So I don't think that they were necessarily out coached in that regard, but they were definitely outplayed um, overall in the game. Okay, so as as we're doing this, we're recording this, I'm just getting a note from the Leafs that John Tavares has been discharged from hospital. He spent the night there, thoroughly examined, assessed by, assessed by a neurological team at St. Mike's, and uh, he is out indefinitely. Uh, and and so, you know, that was uh, as hard a hit, and I don't think I've ever seen anybody hit that hard in the NHL in the head, ever. So that, that would be... Uh, equal to me that the, somebody smashing their head on the ice that that's how hard that hit was. And so, you know, ha, that, that's an automatic concussion because he was knocked out. And and so care has to be taken here, uh, you know, and, and indefinitely is they're just going to see how he feels in, in the, the days and maybe weeks to come, because uh, you're not going to push him back, uh, you know, after a concussion, as I've said uh, to, uh, to other people, a, a boxer gets knocked out, it's gone for 30 days. You know, logistically, and let's take Tavares completely out of the situation, Toronto should be asking itself, and I'm sure it already has, can we beat Montreal without John Tavares in our lineup? And I think the answer to that is yes. So that first round is essentially kind of taken care of. Was he, and and I agree, that was probably one of the most violent head snaps I've ever seen in the game ever. And it was just horrifying to see. I can't imagine the after effects that it could potentially have um, above and beyond just the concussion. We don't know what kind of, or if there has been any other damage to the neck, whatever. Yeah, it could be, could be a severe neck problem too. Yeah, Definitely could be he's done for the playoffs and that's a potential that the Leafs are going to have to figure out. So I guess this Montreal series now becomes a test. How do we continue, how do we go along with a contingency plan that does not include John Tavares? And for, um, it's great news that he's out too. And it's great news that he's recovering. Um, yes. And, and his health is more important than any hockey game. I'd love to see Tavares back in a Leaf jersey before a, uh, for a long cup run, 
but not if it's to the detriment of his overall health. If he can't play, let him out, contain, uh, compose a new contingency plan without him, and you move ahead forging that plan. Yeah, I'm just trying to think what it would be. So obviously somebody comes into the lineup, uh, and you know, uh, uh, if you go through uh, some of the performances of the other players, like uh, uh, Nash making his debut, that was a tough spot. And Hyman coming back after a period of time off, that was a tough spot. You've got Galchenyuk, who you can move in, but you still have to play somebody at center. So it's going to be an interesting adjustment. Um, and and going forward, you know, you have to respond to the Montreal attack. Uh, the scariest part about all that was uh, their injured players and guys who hadn't played for a while looked pretty good. Yeah, you could see Brendan Gallagher starting to get his legs back a little bit too, and that's a very important element of the game. Obviously, Carey Price is good, and Shea Weber kind of showed some uh, – trepidation with handling the puck but for the most part he's ready to play as well um there were a lot of really odd ice times last night i mean for the effect that william nylander had he only played like almost 16 minutes it's not really that much in terms of of ice time for a player of that caliber so the the things that they're going to have to do is find a second line center here so what do they they do they can either move nylander to center they can move jason spezza up um they could put kerfoot there at least for a temporary spot um, they're definitely going to have to bring Alex Galchenyuk back into the lineup. He's the most sealed element that isn't playing. Riley Nash had his debut, but I wasn't really as enthralled as what he was able to bring. And I think that Engvall provides a more offensive element. So I would definitely be bringing him back. So then it's just a mishmash of this forward group. And this yeah. is kind of where they have to go. And they don't have a lot of practice time to figure all this out. So during the game, they're going to probably going to be a lot of blending. So you'll see 34 and 16 together with probably Zach Hyman or a rotating left winger. Um, yeah. And you, and the rest of the lineup will be going through a blender until they find a combination that they're fully capable of being happy with moving forward. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And, and Matthews and Marner had their opportunities in game one. You know, Matthews hit a post. If that had gone in, that's a different hockey game. Uh, but that was a key stop for Montreal to, to keep those guys off the board. 34 is probably the engine that, well, well, I shouldn't even say probably. I mean, he's the offensive engine of this club. But Mitch Marner had zero power play goals. That has to change. Either don't flow the puck through Mitch Marner or he has to find a way to be more effective as a shooter on the power play. And it's kind of odd too, because at five on five, he found himself being put into perfect positions where he's able to really just fire pucks from at will. And, and some found the net, some found rebounds, some became other scoring opportunities. Some way that's got to start to translate from five on five to the power play. Yeah. Just trying to go through my notes and figure out ahead their uh, their scoring attempts. So Matthews, uh, had eight that hit the net and, and uh, five that didn't for 13. And Marner had five that hit the net and three that didn't for, for eight. So there's 21 attempts there from those two guys. So it's not like they were being checked into the ice. They had opportunity. Yep. Individually, too, Matthews created three, Morgan Riley three from the back end, and the rest is kind of like a mishmash across the uh, across the board. Matthews is the engine that drives this offense. If there's any – and I get that John Tavares is a big hit, but if Matthews is – some way injured in any way if his wrist isn't 100 percent, that would scare me more at this oh point. yeah well but you know they have had some good moments without him but not that you wish for to revisit no, that's that. just we don't need that that's, <laughs> too, that's, that's a, too big a loss yeah so having said all of this now let's sort of look ahead to game two and i would suggest to you that the habs aren't going to change much and the leafs have to 
I think you're kind of right. Toronto absolutely has to find a new way to forge their way ahead. Um, it'll be similar to what we just all discussed. I think that for the most part, you have to be very happy with the goaltending because, I mean, that was a really big question mark heading into the series. And I think that they were decent enough to get. And again, we need average or better goaltending just to be contending or at least for the Leafs. competitive for the Leafs. Yeah. Um, Carey Price is Carey Price. We're giving him the benefit of the doubt that he's just going to be his star self. Um, but Jack Campbell, at least, he came to play. He showed that he was ready to go. Um, and I think that that was probably a nice kind of drop of anxiety that uh, the yeah, coaches sure. probably stopped, uh, had. So that, it's nice to take away that question, but now that roster has to be uh, kind of going through a blender uh, in the second game. It's going to be interesting to see how Montreal tries to line match because they seem to want to line match more so than Toronto does. Yeah, and I guess if you're in the Leaf dressing room, you would say we need more from everybody. Everybody has to start contributing in some way, shape, or form. Absolutely. I think that they need to start generating more scoring chances at even strength. That That's the biggest factor. So, again, giving them the benefit of the doubt, they were a little rattled last night. Going into game two, they should be able to execute whatever the coaching staff wants them to do at five-on-five five to consistently get through the logjam in the neutral zone, get behind the defense, and start generating more scoring chances. Gus, thank you very much. The pleasure is always mine, Jim. Thank you very much. Last minute of play in this podcast. All right, there's our time warning from our PA announcer, Mike Ross. And as Rossi says, time is becoming a factor. Yes, guy, no guy awards go like this. The Leafs power play. Oh, no guy. Come on. How long does this go on? Please, the Leafs power play goal. Something. The margins are slim here, so no guy. Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. Well, they were held up the score sheet, but I think they generated 21 shots between them. Not all of them hit the net. But they were a going concern, and they have to score. With John Tavares out, the M&M boys have to deliver. So I'm going to give them a yes guy because they were very apparent in game one, although not on the score sheet. How about the veteran line? Thornton, Spezza, and Simmons. No guy. No, no guy. I like each one of those players, but not on the same line. No guy to that. And the Habs in game one. Well, I'm going to end this uh, with a different kind of an ending here. The Habs win game one. Uh, so what, guy? It's four games that you have to win to win the series. And it, I just can't see Montreal doing that four times out of seven. I want the real Leafs to show up. There were moments there where they looked good in game one. But it was Montreal's game. I can't take it away, even though it happens on a shorthanded goal. But a goal is a goal. Three puck over the glass penalties. Atrocious. Can't do that. So I'm going to say this for Leaf fans. Habs take game one. So what, guy? Hope you enjoyed episode 38. Hope you come back for episode 39 of Lee Sky next Wednesday after the first four games of this series.